Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hello and welcome back to the Karma Comic Chameleon podcast. Here we narrate all the best Reddit stories from subreddits like Pro and Nuclear Revenge, Malicious Compliance, and even some entitled parents. Check us out on YouTube where you can read along with the stories. Just search Karma Comment Chameleon. Today, we're jumping into some pro-revenge. Our first story today comes to us from Backbiter0723. I'm lazy? Guess you don't need my labor then. Let's jump right in. This is a long one with a lot of context. You have been warned. Back before my grandfather passed, he had connected me with a friend of his who had a friend willing to give me a summer job when I turned 18. It was a pretty solid gig to do in the summer before I went to college, and it paid well, $15 an hour in Ohio. While it's not record-breaking, it certainly beat working fast food. I only worked about a month between my birthday and when I started college, but I proved to be a good worker who got the job done faster and better than anyone else. A couple things about this business. This friend of my grandfather started it himself in the 80s. It has something like 40 employees and is a machine shop that mostly deals in government contracts. They do everything from pew-pew stocks and computer casings for the military to chemical wash tubs and lamps. Your average guy here was a 40-something dude, and there were only two women in the whole place, the secretary and a lady in quality control. When we got sent home for the pandemic in March 2020, I pretty quickly came to be strapped for cash and went back. Since they fulfilled government contracts, their business was deemed necessary and they stayed open. I worked from early April until August that year and made a pretty decent chunk of change as he raised me from $15 to $17 an hour and put me in the shop running CNC machines. Before that, I'd been putting something called helicoils into machine parts, which basically just make the threads where bolts go heavy duty. Not a very hard job, but very time consuming. That being said, I was very good at this job. On average, I'd finish twice as many parts a shift as the next guy, who'd been working there for about 25 years. This will be important later. We didn't go back to school in fall 2020 as the pandemic was still happening, but I'd saved up enough cash at the place to be comfortable for a while. I took that fall off school, hoping that by spring we'd be back on campus. In the meantime, I signed up to volunteer with the Red Cross. I drove vans for them, transporting blood from their donor center and lab in Cleveland to area hospitals, as far out as Sharon, PA. I absolutely loved it, as helping people and doing fulfilling work is very important to me. Soon enough, I was the team leader out of the location in my city and was running three shifts a week, which would each span anywhere from five to eight hours. In spring 2021, I also moved into a new role as the chief of staff for an esports organization on my campus. I'll post another story about that later, which ate up a lot of my time. Nobody else on our board did much work, and I was the only one with experience talking to administration, so I got nailed with a ton of busy work. But again, it was something I loved to do, just to see all the happy folks at the events we, well, I, organized. Both the Red Cross and this esports thing were also very important resume builders for me, 
as they gave me leadership and bureaucratic experience that looks really good on a political science and communications resume, which is what I'm studying in college. Needless to say, the machine shop work didn't do that for me. It was money and little more. In the months leading up to fall 2021, it became clear to me that, with the savings I had, I wouldn't be able to afford to finish college. I would have to work while I was in school, something of 30 hours a week to make it work. At this point, I decided to go back to the shop for a few days to make a little extra cash before I head out, and line up 8 days on the schedule to work, 4 weeks working Thursday and Friday. I'm doing this because I am still taking 3 or more volunteer shifts a week with the Red Cross, plus my responsibilities with the eSport organization. My boss does in fact know about both of these things. The shop put me back in the assembly room, installing those coils in some wash tubs. Each part has about 50 different coils in 3 different sizes, and each part is so heavy that they have to be moved with a small 1-ton crane in the assembly room. Then, on top of that, the coils had a nasty habit of not going in right or otherwise failing, so we'd have to remove and reinstall 5 or more coils apart. Because of this, most people only finished 5 or 6 parts a shift. I, however, am particularly efficient and take pride in my work, so I'd get 10 on most days. The shipment had 80 tubs left when they pulled me in for those 8 days, and I was going to work on those tubs the whole time. My boss reckoned that with just me on the tubs, I'd be able to finish the shipment before I left, whereas he'd have to put two of his other workers on the job to do the same without me. I promise you, he knew this going in. On the fifth day of work, I'm starting to get pretty burnt out, and the stress of affording college was starting to get to me. I had one job lined up, and a number of applications outstanding. I wasn't necessarily worried, just a bit wound up, tense, and exhausted. I voiced my frustrations to my boss and my worries about affording college. That's when this guy, a 70-something multi-millionaire who just pushes papers all day, decided to piss me off. Instead of consoling me in any way, offering reassurance, or dare I say, a bonus for my clearly excess productivity, which he brought me in for, he decides to go with, there's 168 hours in a week, work as much as you like. I push back and say that I literally cannot do that. I'm working 11am to 7pm Monday through Wednesday with Red Cross, and fill most of my weekends and evenings with networking and emails for esports. I could not take more hours in this job without giving up one of two activities which are more professionally relevant to me or taking a hit to my sleep. Even if I did all those things and worked 60 hour weeks, I only had one week left before I went back to campus. Needless to say, even with 20 hours of overtime pay, I still would not have been able to magically afford college. I'd still have to work two jobs as a full-time student either way. But wait, there's more. After I tell him I literally cannot take more hours without it being a detriment to my career or mental health, he goes on to tell me that I am lazy, irresponsible, and have never worked for a thing in my life. I'll remind you, I am, far and away, his most productive worker when I am in the shop, whether I'm running machines or installing coils. I will also note that my family makes a whopping $25,000 a year as a family of four. It's enough to live on in Northeast Ohio, but that's about it. Everything I own and use, including my phone, car, insurance, computer, I pay for with my own money that I earned working in this guy's shop. 
At this point, I ask myself why I'm bothering with this guy. Then I remember. He's relying on me to finish this batch of parts. Everyone else is tied up on different orders. If I leave, this shipment goes unfinished and he'll be forced to delay. I only have three days left scheduled to work, and that money isn't going to do anything for me if I'm going to be working 30 hours a week anyways. So why am I here? The next morning, I text him at 6am in the morning and tell him I'm not going to come in for the remainder of my shifts. This man, who I'll remind you is a 70-something multi-millionaire, loses his mind. In text, he's cursing out the wazoo, telling me how I'm destroying his business and how I effed him over. And how if I was actually smart with money, I would have quit my volunteer activities and put in the work. I keep it respectful and inform him that his disrespect lost him a valuable employee. And now, he's gotta pay the price. I later found out from a coworker that the shipment ended up being about a month late. Because of how this shop's contracts work, he'd have to refund 1% of the contract price for each day the shipment is late. For this contract, 30% late fees would have amounted to around $200,000. Maybe if he was smarter with money, he wouldn't have hinged $200,000 of late fees on the work ethic of one lazy, irresponsible, 20-year-old kid who's never worked for a thing in his life. I'm struggling to see how a guy who is in his 70s and a multi-millionaire who has clearly been in business for a very long time couldn't see that a bonus would have been the best option in this case. Management in these stories seems to have a history of crapping on the people who actually know what's going on and then having to figure out what to do when those people crap back on the management. This next story comes to us from Amenadiel. I was unemployed. This guy scammed me. Revenge is still pouring on him. Let's jump right in. First and foremost, this didn't happen in the US. Some events might be pursuable up there, but down here, it was mostly no man's land regarding the kind of scams I fell for. For the sake of this story, here in no man's land, we use the top level domain NML. My wife is a nurse. Back then, in the early 2000s, she worked in an ICU of a relatively exclusive and therefore expensive hospital. Specifically, she had to care for patients that had undergone cardiac surgery. At the time, I was working for a small company that was going out of business. The owners were retiring, we hadn't secured any important contracts lately, and in my country, you have to pay for employee severance unless you file for bankruptcy. So they decided to shut it down while they still had enough cash to pay our severances. One day my wife calls me and tells me about this gentleman in his late 50s that had been in the verge of passing away. And after that close call, he was so grateful and stuff, we'll call him Benny Lowy. This gentleman happened to work in electronics imports, which gave him access to incredibly convenient deals. Long story short, he was so grateful he could sell us an LCD TV, a stored demo unit that had been used just once and we'd need to pay like one quarter of its retail price as long as we kept it quiet because he was risking his relation with the brand. It caught me off guard. I said yes and she paid. Anyway, the only TV in the house had been a wedding present and weighed over a hundred pounds. We were eager to replace it. I was naive, I know, but I thought being her patient, she knew all personal data from this guy so it seemed unlikely he would target her for a scam. His father was a known businessman, now retired and approaching his 80s. 
Mr. Lowy Sr. was well-respected in his community and wouldn't have let his son wreak havoc. Also, my wife had acquaintances in common with Benny's brother, a known doctor of another hospital. Christmas was approaching, she asked Benny, who had been already discharged and back home, for advice regarding the present she wanted to give me, a phone. He hooked her up with the best she could think of. Now, I can't remember the exact model, but it was the Sony Ericsson flagship, and it wasn't yet offered by local carriers. He had access to it because of his status as a local representative for said brand. She went with it paid. The job position. I've said my employer was shutting down, so just for the sake of it, she asked Benny if he knew of someone needing an IT guy. Of course, he said. I'll meet your husband at this place tomorrow, etc. And there I was, in a gas station uptown. He pulled over in a luxury car. Mr. Lowy was a normal-looking guy, used a cane, and had a noticeable knee or hip pain. We sat down in the gas station coffee shop, and he told me about a mid-management position, reporting to him, in a mining company I had barely heard about. He coached me on what should I say in the upcoming job interview. We spoke about salary. I was dazzled. Wait, mining? Didn't you say he was into imports? He was that kind of guy you can't pause to question because he'd already thrown something extra to the mix and this position had a better paycheck than the one I was being laid off. In the next days, we had a few phone calls. Stuff looked promising. I had been already laid off. We agreed he'd pick me up on December 24th and he'd introduce me to senior managers as the recommended help desk junior manager. I woke up extra early, put on my best suit, waited in the front yard, hours went by. I had planned to be back before noon to arrange stuff for that night's dinner because my parents were coming over. After calling him repeatedly, he told me he'd been assaulted and robbed. They took my cane and broke it on my knee, he wailed. Poor guy. I told him to forget about my interview for the time being. No, no, I promised you I'll make it up to you. Of course, since he had been injured, he wasn't able to deliver the items my wife bought from him. That night, my mother asked me about the new job. I could not bring myself to tell her about the delay. I told her it was going fine. That night, I googled him. Nothing showed up except for some awards in the Imports and Customs Associations of whatever. He called me to reschedule our interview. December 31st. Again, picture me in my best suit outside my house on a summer morning. Of course, he didn't show up. When I finally reach him, he tells me that when his car had been stolen last week, they took his wallet too, which these thugs eventually dropped during another robbery. So now he had been detained as a suspect for that. He hadn't been able to pick the imported electronics on the customs office, so they had them move to another custody unit where it would take a couple of weeks to retrieve. That night, we went to my parents for New Year's Eve, and my mother asked me for the new job. It's all fine, I said. I Google him again, this time with variations regarding his name or the supposed company he was setting me into. Not much showed up, nothing shady. The next call was like a week later. He told me that because he was being involved in a police investigation, this mining company had fired him. But this was actually good because now I was going to be interviewed to take his position as IT manager. This meant double my former paycheck and securing a position that would be a leap forward in my career. So I don't ask many questions. I was just grateful. All those delays in the end would pay off. This situation, as you have already figured out, went on and on for weeks. 
My interview never happened. The electronics never arrived. We had lost our money, our time, our Christmas, our hopes, and I was still unemployed and hadn't been applying for job offers since I had this one allegedly secured. I texted him somewhere in between. I texted him, why are you doing this to us? He texted back, if I wanted to, you have nothing on me, but if you stick with me, you'll be rewarded tenfold. Cue in the detective. Time went by. Eventually, my wife overhears from a coworker about this patient in another hospital she was working at. Some nurses do work part-time at other hospitals. She had fell for it too, but her husband was a detective. So a few hours later, we were filling him in on the details of the scam we fell for. Asking around, he found a third nurse scammed by this guy. Soon enough, he was detained, this time for real, and admitted to have been scamming people due to an impromptu invited mild dementia. This detective talks him into an off-court deal in which he gave us back every cent, but not my time nor hopes, in exchange for us not pursuing any legal action. This was a decent deal, because us, having failed to make a written agreement on any of these purchases, had at most a weak claim to our money. By the way, the money with which he paid us, he had to borrow from his father, and some from his brother, the doctor. Remember, this didn't happen in the US. This agreement was actually completely legal down there. So I made a blog. I couldn't go for any further legal action, but there wasn't a non-disclosure agreement whatsoever. And I thought, what could prevent other people falling into the scammer's lies? Well, perhaps some Google results? So I created a blog on WordPress. Think something like BennyLoweyTheScammer.wordpress.com. It was a single post in third person telling my story. In the following days, that post comments had a dozen stories much like mine. I made them into posts. A few of them got their comments too, telling other people's stories. In a few weeks, looking for Benny Lowy's name on Google led to this blog. In my country, you can review updates regarding court ongoing cases, except for felonies. Those are non-public. Searching for his national ID, which I had known thanks to our settlement, as the sued party. I could just find an eviction action due to failing to pay his condo's lease. But looking for him as the suing part, I found out he had sued WordPress, our local fictionary domain, which was registered by a local guy on GoDaddy. Following up with the case, this guy had spent months trying to demonstrate this local guy had to take down the blog I made in the .com domain. Go figure. I was tempted then and there to set a post on this blog saying, if I wanted to, you have nothing on me. However, I have never attempted to let him know who's doing this. I just log into this blog once in a while. Today was the first one in years and keep finding, in the comments, more scammed people. All of them in a vulnerable moment in their life. Unemployed guys, small startups looking for an angel investor, small branch salespeople pursuing a promising commission. Those who have, in time, reached a compensation or agreement. It's because Benny's now ancient father had to chip in. From what they say, his brother has gone no contact. Most commenters leave their email addresses, and I have known a few that have teamed with each other and succeeded in legal actions. Perhaps this is not a revenge, but it's my story. Unfortunately, in this case, people getting scammed by this guy aren't really going to start Googling him until they're well into the scam. Hopefully, when they find out this information, though, they will stop from getting swindled any further, and they can take corrective action. 
Thank you for listening to the Karma Comic Chameleon podcast. Remember to visit us on YouTube at youtube.com slash karma comic chameleon. I look forward to seeing you again tomorrow in the next episode.